0: And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash show. Hey, guys, on the line, I've got the great Grant F. Smith. He is the director of the Institute for Research Middle Eastern Policy, IRMEP, I-R-M-E-P. And that's uh, IRMEP.org. And he's written a bunch of great books about the Israel lobby's influence in the United States, including their illegal shenanigans, including their stealing weapons-grade uranium from America and the rest. And he's got this great new uh, podcast, which is essentially the audio book of um, America's Defense Line, or which one of these was it? Yeah,
1: that's America's Defense Line, plus, plus some bonus content.
0: Oh, great. So the masterpiece book is... Big Israel. Get it? Like Big Tobacco or that kind of thing, right? So this is uh, Big Israel. And then uh, America's Defense Line. I guess that means the Justice Department. No wonder we're screwed. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, this thing is great. And I've listened to almost all of it already. And it's in chapters in podcast form. Um, and it's really great. And it's about Isaiah Kennan and the origin of... Of APAC. So, first of all, what's APAC? And then second of all, who is Isaiah Kennan?
1: Yeah, so the founder of APAC, the America-Israel Public Affairs Committee, uh, was Isaiah Kennan, and he has been written out of APAC history. I think it's important to mention why are we kind of going back to the basics here? Uh, as a lot of people know. AIPAC has formed some political action committees. It used to help form PACs with very obscure names to pick and support candidates in regional races, but now they own uh, a couple of their own PACs Democratic Majority for Israel, United Democracy Project, and they pumped $24 million into various races to knock off uh from our perspective knockoff candidates who won't be deferential to Israel's government uh but most of the reporting on all of this uh lacks any historic basis like what is a when was it formed who formed it well what, even hold why? that thought
0: for just one second cuz yeah. i'm going to make that same mistake right now and stick with the current thing which is yeah. that even though it's called apac it's right. not a hyphen pack like public action committee. It's that's yeah. just sort of a coincidence. It's the American for some reason it's a silent i cuz how the hell else are you going to pronounce it? But Back. it's the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, not Public Action Committee. Public right. Affairs Committee, which is not a public action committee. But like let's say I never heard of uh the regulations uh about these things. Um that's an important distinction only just now this year last year they begun to erase that distinction and apac right. has gone ahead and created their own packs
1: political right? action committees uh-huh. correct they formed a super pack and a regular pack okay so, so what they does they all can, this
0: mean for so many like i mean what's the difference that they can do now that they weren't doing before for example
1: yeah well i mean they used to they used to signal to a giant group of packs who they wanted to be uh, favored. And they used to even issue some instructions to allegedly independent PACs about who to spend on. But what it means now is the coordination is much tighter. So they can do so-called independent uh, spending just on ads against a candidate, and they can also contribute to uh, the campaign of, of certain candidates. So what it means now is they're able to much more tightly coordinate their spending so it's more effective. It didn't used to always be effective, but now they've got, if you look at their political action super PAC spending, they've got a pollster, they've got a team to really look at how they can be most effective at knocking off any candidate who could be a potential threat and stand up to the Israeli government, call them out for the human rights abuses, That's what they don't want. So, you know, this week, Andy Levin got taken out, a Democrat from Michigan. You know, they spent quite a bit to get him out of the picture because he was the worst possible threat. You know, somebody who was active in his synagogue, very progressive, but calling out Israel on, you know, their treatment of Palestinians. He still voted for the aid. He still pretty much did everything every other Democrat does when it comes down to it. Uh, But he represented a vocal and sort of symbolic threat. And so they took him out. And so that's the big difference. You know, before they formed those political action committees – APAC could signal, it could put out a candidate scorecard, it could send secret memos like Elizabeth Schreyer used to do when she was trying to coordinate a raft of packs that APAC helped set up but didn't actually run. But now, you know, this is their major program. As some people have indicated, and I believe this as well, They're ratcheting down spending on things like their giant uh, conferences because this is so much more effective. You know, bringing in 15,000 people to the convention center in D.C. and having uh, sort of uh, a roll call of different elected officials to say how great Israel is and how it's the best thing in the world and has to get U.S. support. That's not that's not as effective The protests have grown too big. The infiltration by people holding up signs and saying, you know, what about illegal settlements? They just, they're not doing that anymore. So what they're doing is directly, directly getting into primaries and elections. So that's a huge difference. The whole political action committee formation. They never had one of those in the drawer. Mm -hmm. Other things they've had in the drawer, the Near East Report a lobbying newsletter that emerged directly from communications that used to be done directly by the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Israel Information Office, and, and that gets back to the history I want to talk about. Um, and they've also had this so-called education wing, the American Israel Education Foundation, which is uh, typically taken a third of all Members of Congress who are going to an international destination, uh, they've happened to take them to Israel, and they also finance the conference that they do every year or have done every year up until 2019 in Washington. So this is another couple of drawers they have in their H Street headquarters. You know, a lot of these operations don't have any staff like the American Israel Education Foundation. They're really just paper conduits, for directing funding uh, from the Mothership, which is the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee,
0: yeah. Now, so I think there was a real specific reason why they never had PACs before, right? Something about being able to say we don't have PACs.
1: We're yeah, just... they used. Yeah, yeah. They Go used ahead. to. They used to thrive in saying we are not a political action committee. We do not support candidates for office, we are strictly here to support the U.S.-Israel relationship, which is the framing they use to skirt their sordid past of being part of an umbrella that was ordered to register as an Israeli foreign agent, because the bottom line is, and I go over this in depth in the podcast series you know, how Israel made APAC. They were set up with Israeli money. They were set up with Jewish agency money as well, which gets Israeli government funding. Uh, and it was coordinated with Israel. They saw Isaiah Kennan. He was taken around Congress people after getting uh, a big aid package, one of Israel's first in the 1950s, the early 1950s. And He was casting about. He's like, should I be a diplomat for Israel? Should I return to my employment with the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs? And they're like, no, no, you got to go back to the U.S. and form, uh, air quotes, American lobby for Israel. And that is exactly what he did. They were funneling cash to him. They were funding his newsletter, which was bombarding about 50,000 elites, as well as all members of Congress, telling what they should do in regard to Israel, and setting up this massive PR campaign with Madison Avenue to set set the American mindset through magazines, the Saturday Evening Post, the New York Times radio station, funding a bunch of uh, Israel I'm just going to say propaganda so that they would feel more favorably toward the Israelis and disregard any, you know, pretense of fairness. So, um, you know, APAC now, I think they're a lot weaker. The uh, democratic base that they have traditionally relied on for support is not pro-Israel to the extent that it used to be. It's better informed. And so it's kind of a sign of weakness that they've got to use, for example, recently $24 million that they could have used on something else, $24 million to knock out some of the voices that they know and have scored would have been critic from within Congress and possibly dragged other uh, Democrats who, you know, like the money and the support, but uh, want to actually call out the Israelis for their treatment of children, prisoners, want to talk about the illegal settlements, want to talk about the constant military you know, harassment of Palestinians. And APEC just can't have that. So, you know, the unfortunate thing, though, is the reporting on this has been terrible. And it, it all gets back to the lack of historical knowledge that most people venturing into this carefully... Uh, have about what AIPAC is, why it was formed, when it was formed, and its history. Nobody troubles themselves to learn about anything like that, and there isn't a ton of information out there. But basically, uh, some of the leading voices uh, that are out there, like Robert Reich, want to say something like, well, this is a problem when corporations get into elections, and this is a problem... You know, they're taking out these candidates because they're progressive. And that's BS. They don't really care that they're progressive. The only thing that matters to AIPAC and the only thing that ever has mattered to AIPAC is whether they're going to be compliant with what the Israeli government wants in terms of aid. And so if you take a very cynical sort of quantitative look, you know, what's the value of an Andy Levin uh, in Congress to AIPAC? Well, take the uh, entire amount of foreign aid going to APAC this year, plus a billion-dollar subsidy for their Iron Dome missiles, and Andy Levin's seat is worth $9 million to the Israeli government. Yeah. And so if, you know, if he took his first vote ever, and it it would be his first vote ever, against the aid package... That would be unacceptable to Israel's government. And he was never even close to being like that, but he was saying the wrong things. And so he had to go. And, you know, people say, oh, you know, they took him out because he's progressive. No, they took him out because he represented a threat to that longtime subsidy And they spent way less than $9 million to get him out of there. That was the value of his seat. And now it's going to go to a rubber stamp that Israel will will like more. That's the same with Donna Edwards. You know, she, again, you know, the amount they spent on her compared to what her seat was worth uh, was, you know, she was a bargain to get out of there and get the other person in. Uh, Well, look, I mean, in terms
0: uh, of having a unanimous House of Representatives that everybody just loves Israel and nobody has a thing to say about it. That's priceless if they can pull it is. off. It and is.
1: And that unanimity it off. is so—I think, I think it has, you know, a couple of effects. It makes it look normal. And if you look at the polls, and Gallup is pretty terrible on a lot of things, including this, but uh, Pew is much better— the Democratic base is tired of this. They don't have representative leadership in Congress. They're tired of, you know, aid that has com- – it's completely, you know, disconnected from any sort of responsibilities. It's unconditional. But, I mean, to, to say that, oh, it's all about progressives, no, that's not true. If Thomas Massey, for example, Republican from Kentucky, gets too much more up in APAC's grill about the Iron Dome – uh, extra missile subsidy like he did. He was tweeting out that when APAC was pushing back on him, he was saying, Hey, I'm being attacked by foreign agents. And that is exactly what was happening to him. But he, you know, he can't do that too many more times or he'll be primaried as well. So he's kind of backed off on that. He did have a significant impact, I think, on helping to delay that. And if any senator ever, ever uh, looked like they might be in a position to put a hold on aid or asked about the Symington and Glenn Amendment restrictions on aid to foreign nuclear powers who aren't part of the, uh, NPT, he would, you know, they would go after Rand Paul, who's also, you know, delayed aid to Israel. So that's the problem with all this sort of, uh, pseudo history about what's going on and where, you know, what AIPAC does. That's the problem. Nobody realizes the implications and the, the, the very, Narrow focus of what APAC does. So, you know, that's this 13 part series Mm -hmm. is a way to put up some extremely solid APAC history that's generally missing in the most, uh, I would say, uh, popular format uh, for learning in bite sized segments and, you know, contextualize it, contextualize everything that's happened. Since before Israel was formed, how the lobbying began, what the leading thinkers putting together the lobby were dealing with in their own minds and their own words, and just going through, you know, what it, who was Apex founder? Why? When did they start lobbying for a country? Well, uh, go ahead, tell know.
0: us some stories, Grant.
1: <laughs> tell you some stories. Yeah, tell us I about mean,
0: Isaiah Cannon.
1: Yeah, so Isaiah Cannon was a really interesting guy because, you know, I think he uh, really adopted Theodore Herzl's entire plan. And he worked for all of the key organizations that helped bring Israel into existence and really saw it as something that. Uh, was noble and that he was going to, as he said in voice, pen, and deed, uh, channeling Herzl, so get on board with. So he started out, uh, he was Canadian, he came to the U.S., his father was involved in trying to arm the uh, Russian czar, and get them some fuel cars, railroad stuff for their war, but they lost against, of course, the uh, communists. So his father was, he lost a fortune fighting a, a dubious uh, military adventure. Cannon was was very much yeah. uh, interested in becoming a journalist, and so he worked in Cleveland as a journalist. But he really got to start in lobbying, lobbying uh, for uh, the organization of... Uh, newspaper men and trying to get them some rights and and really liked going to Washington and doing that. Um, so he, he started off organizing. He didn't believe in petitions. He didn't believe in marches. And in that sense, he was right. You know, what matters in Washington, DC is brute force and money. And so he was quickly noticed by, uh, Uh, Abba Hillel Silver and uh, Abraham Feinberg, who were bigwigs in the Zionist movement, and they said, this guy's the guy, we need him. He was an advocate for the formation of Israel at the pre-state organization called the Jewish Agency. He went on study commission findings uh, in the 40s to look at the situation in Palestine and then was a UN spokesperson to... Uh, lobby for the formation of Israel. He was on the Israeli Ministry of a for, uh, Foreign Affairs payroll. He was on the Jewish agency payroll. But they ran into problems with the IRS. They ran into problems with the U.S. because they're getting all their money from abroad. And so, as I mentioned earlier, he had to set up a nucleus of an organization in the U.S. that they could credibly say was a an american again air quotes uh lobby for israel and try to position it as a grassroots movement and they had a very difficult time funding it they had a very difficult time uh presenting it as anything like a grassroots movement and they quickly ran into problem with problems with eisenhower with kennedy they ran into problems because you know senators were feeling the heat feeling the pressure As they were putting out all of these propaganda uh, statements, it were really just basically Israeli government positions. And uh, Senator J.W. Fulbright was angry about it. He wanted to know how they were being funded. He wanted to know why Isaiah Kennan stopped registering as an Israeli foreign agent with the Justice Department uh, when he was essentially doing the same thing that the Israeli Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Jewish Agency was paying him to do. And so there was a huge battle Uh, which led to Kennan quickly fleeing the United States and going to Iran, which was a big Israeli ally at the time, and then visiting Africa while his organizations and network were being subpoenaed and documents were being seized and there were hearings in the Senate and uh, there was a, a registration order issued by the Justice Department. So, You know, Kennan survived into the mid-70s, and they managed to get through all of these calls for accountability because, you know, they were providing the one thing that American politicians need most, as Abraham Feinberg, who is, again, this big Democratic Party fundraiser, said, kind of like Haim Saban today— Uh, He was a one-issue guy, and his issue was Israel, and he was getting all sorts of funding from Israel, like for a Coca-Cola bottling plant later, and he was very much uh, involved in all sorts of financial transactions. But he was determined to make sure that American politicians got enough money that they would ignore virtually everything Israel was doing in the United States, whether it was the nuclear weapons program, which Feinberg helped fund uh, by funding all sorts of organizations in Israel, or, you know, this stealth lobbying campaign.
0: Hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, they've got great deals on weed at thehempspot.com. The Hemp Spot specializes in Delta-8 tetrahydrocannabinol instead of Delta-9, so they can send it straight to you anywhere in America. Recently, a friend moved and didn't have a guy in his new town. But then he heard about the HempSpot.com on my show and was saved, figuratively and literally. Because if you use the promo code Scott, you get 15% off every order. And free shipping on any order over $100. Legal jams, bud, gummies, and the rest in your state. TheHempSpot.com, spell T H C. You guys, my friend Mike Swanson has written such a great revisionist take on the early history of the post-World War II national security state and military-industrial complex in the Truman-Eisenhower and Kennedy years. It's called The War State. I have to say, it's the most convincing case I've read that Kennedy had truly decided to end the Cold War before he was killed. In any case,
1: I know you'll love it. The War State by Mike Swanson. So they, you know, his quote was, I provided them with the money or with what they needed, which was campaign contributions. He did a uh, audio interview at the Truman Library about that. Harry S. Truman was basically putty in the hands of Feinberg and the organizations of proto-APAC. I mean... He uh, reluctantly recognized the state of Israel over the objections of his state and war departments. He was very uh, tepid in revising the statement of recognition. He really resented the pressure that was being put on him. But right after recognition, he quickly went to the same people pressuring him to organize his whistle-stop campaign. And, you know, you see that picture in your mind of uh, Dewey beats Truman he wouldn't have won uh, election if he hadn't tapped the forces that were pressuring him to recognize Israel and then send gobs of foreign aid their way. So it's a really interesting story of the the first, I would say, purchase of an American politician, which was certainly Truman, uh, that nobody talks about anymore. You would think that there would be one article about the Truman whistle stop campaign in the context of everything that's being written today about this tragedy of progressive Democrats being knocked off by APAC, mm-hmm. But again, there's no historical knowledge. There's no willingness to go there. Well, in it's, fact,
0: I mean, they have an opportunity here, right? Because famously, well, in some circles anyway, but importantly, this scholar, John Judas published a book about this, the uh, Israel lobbies, you know, Kind of their uh, role in that Truman campaign and their founding and their influence on him and his recognition of Israel and all that, just what within the last five, six years, something like that, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, he did. So, he it's wrote institutional about,
0: knowledge among some people, anyway. You know.
1: Well, it should be in every article, though. I mean, really, any article about APAC should go back to Abraham Feinberg, the Whistle Stop campaign, to Truman, and then talk about the fact that this went on. You know, same guy, same millions, right into the LBJ administration, and you know, it should be, you know, it shouldn't be the occasional book. It should definitely be. Uh, about, uh, it should be in the context behind every news article that talks about this. And so you're talking about Genesis, Truman, America Jews, and the origins of the Arab-Israeli uh, conflict. Publisher was the same one that published The Israel Lobby that Walton Mearsheimer wrote. You know, it, it, it came out in 2014, as far as I remember, but it, you know... One book, one book is not going to be enough, and I just uh, I, I think that everyone's been dropping the ball because the place that nobody wants to go as a journalist right now, whether they're you know talking about uh, the policy or talking about what APAC is doing right now, they don't want to get outside the Overton window, and you know the Overton the the uh, the fringes of that Overton window are. There's been a lot of foreign influence to set this whole thing up from the beginning. And you can't just say, oh, it seems like now most of the people funding this are American. It was set up with foreign money. It was set up with foreign objectives. Again, securing U.S. arms and aid to Israel. It's something the Israeli government needed. It wasn't something the United States needed. Uh, there was never there's never been a sound argument saying that the U.S. really needed to set up a new alleged ally in this particularly sensitive part of the Middle East. But, you know, nobody can go there. And so you've got this hand wringing about AIPAC uh, is targeting progressives.
0: Yeah. and Which is funny, right, because they're just replacing progressive or, you know, liberal Democrats with liberal Democrats. It's just this one issue. I think right. in one race, it was like, we'll replace the black lady with the black lady. And yeah, and you
1: know, Nancy Pelosi has come out uh, recently. I think she's kind of on her last legs here, so she feels like she can do it. But she's come out in support of J Street's platform, which, you know, is not terribly different than APAC. Did she actually so,
0: say that? I mean, was that recently?
1: She She's called out uh, APAC for doing what it did to Donna Edwards and she did that within the context, excuse me, of a J Street sort of plug. But, you know, it's not something she's ever done as a young congressperson. So I kind of view it as maybe throwing a bone to uh, the squad and some of the progressives in her orbit. But, you know, it's APAC and the Israel lobby is so vital to Democratic Party fundraising they're in a real tight spot. Uh, J Street, which was set up much more recently than APAC was, has a position that it's more progressive. It talks about the long dead two-state solution. It's against illegal settlement uh, in the West Bank. And they're sort of heralded as this great progressive force uh, but there's still lobby they spend the majority of their budget as far as I can tell uh, in congressional uh, clerk filings lobbying for arms just like APAC does and inserting Israel into everything every major program in the u.s to kind of give them an edge in terms of development and uh, other opportunities so you know it's It's a very mild thing. What the Democratic Party cannot do is begin to put in any party platform saying we oppose settlements. We're going to condition foreign aid. Uh, We will no longer allow a blank check for Israel's treatment of child prisoners, which is a big Betty McCollum uh, program. They can't do that because they need the funding. Uh, one of the heads of Emily's list was on a panel and she talked about how they're basically going to Israel lobby donors for every uh, major campaign startup. And that's where they're getting their startup money. It's a great little clip that just continues to talk about how important this is. So you're not going to see uh, any Democrats uh, talking about how APAC is – uh, destroying uh, the Democratic Party. They're, they're going to either try to stay quiet or talk about money in politics and Citizens United and the intervention of corporations, which, you know, is not really an issue. There's, there's nothing out there in the world of politics that isn't a corporation. I mean, you know, you can rail against a corporation all you want, but it's the first thing everybody forms when they want to get into this business. And, and so, too, with the whole idea that uh, United Democracy Project, one of the PACs and Democratic majority for Israel, about 90% of the reporting you see out there in the tweets is, oh, hey, they're attacking candidates without mentioning Israel in their attacks, and all they care about is Israel. Well, I mean, everybody does that in Washington. Everybody does oppo research, and they attack politicians based on their weaknesses. And you know, Americans for Freedom or Americans for Socialism—they don't talk about you know what their program is. They talk about this candidate and why they're so terrible, and it's because they did this when they're 20 years old or that you know last week. But they never, they never really, when they're in a campaign mode, uh, they never really mention their principles. And so that's why it's it's so necessary, I think. For everybody to put on their Bose headphones or whatever it is they use and listen to every single one of these episodes. We've put out yeah. seven episodes of How Israel Made APAC. And the exciting ones, I gotta say, are the ones that are in the bag. And, you know, the most updates and interesting podcast is gonna be the final one. But, you know, get up to date on. The importance uh, of the Israeli government in the formation of APAC, uh, the battle they had with the Department of Justice, and and by the way, to your question, the reason uh, the original uh, book that came out on the research of the big document FOIA that we got from the Justice Department, showing how they completely fell on their faces in trying to regulate APAC. Um, you know the name of that book was america's defense line and it's because it had so much content and reference to Isaiah kennan's book israel's defense line so he saw the us yeah. as kind of this giant malleable you know weapon that could be pointed at all of israel's uh, enemies And, you know, America's defense line, unfortunately, was not as well funded. It didn't have the leadership backbone that it should have. But that was definitely the Justice Department Farah division, which has reverted now to exclusively going after, you know, small state official enemies. Uh, It's not really upholding its mandate. It's gotten weaker and weaker. Uh, but it is it is good to see all of the manipulation and behind the scenes politicking that went in to overturning within the Justice Department, overturning uh, the only resistance uh, that they had to this massive propaganda and foreign funded adventure called the formation of APAC. Uh, so. Uh, I've gotten a couple of really interesting notes, and this is what kind of partially what led to the creation of this series uh, from historians who are saying, hey, why <laughs> why isn't there audio of this out there? Uh, this is so great, and, uh, you know, it's it's overdue. It, it's going to be out there forever. It's going to be an audio reference manu- manual, and once it's done, uh, I just hope that people find it to be as as useful as kind of a standalone, hey, I can access this in bite size or binge the whole thing, uh, but really get the perspective that isn't out there right now.
0: Yeah. Look, it's so important that, you know, I'm sorry, it's just a simple turn of phrase in a way almost, right, Grant? That Hey, these are just concerned Americans. No, they're not. It's a lobby set up in the interests of a foreign government, by that foreign government, no different than if we were talking about the Turks or this or that or whatever. Right. And you know, I saw an Israel lobby type guy whose name you would recognize on the Twitter there saying, Ha ha to all the anti-Semites who are mad right. that right. these, you know, anti-Israel candidates lost, including Andy Levin, the Jewish Zionist who right. was just mildly critical, I mildly. just said a few things, but, you know, that was worth all the millions of dollars in the world absolutely, uh, to get an rid example, of a guy man. like that who would even yep. just disrupt the narrative at all. And you're an anti-Semite if you're a partisan of Mr. Levin in this case, too. Yeah. I, I, on the other hand, I mean, it's just, on. okay, so I guess the point is, yeah, they're still playing that same stupid game, but on the other hand, like, how ridiculous is that? You know, that partisans of, of this progressive black female uh, congressman and this white Jewish man, Zionist uh, congressman right. that right. these people are. Yeah, they're the radical right. You know, the Aryan nations and all this yeah. kind of thing. uh huh
1: It doesn't stand up. I mean, I, I do think I do think it's it's being noticed that sort of gloating and that sort of, you know, celebratory lap. And they didn't manage to take out Rashida Tlaib, who is a vocal Palestinian. They really probably couldn't. I mean, she would be an example of they could spend the $9 million that her seat is worth, but they're not going to take it back. She's got too much grassroots support. Uh, And I think, you know, their polling and their dial testing indicates that she couldn't be taken out in a primary. So, you know, they're not... They're not wasting money, and they're not throwing money into losing races. And that's another reason for APAC to form a PAC. Before trying to coordinate NORPAC and some of the other stealth Israel lobbies that had very obscure names, it was very difficult, and they weren't supposed to do it. So, you know, it's uh, it, it was a real chore to try to take people out. They had to engage in things like, you know, sort of, uh, they call them spoiler candidates. They ran Ed Vallens in California, so they could get a rubber stamp into uh, office over there. And the APAC directors are in charge of that. But they had a they had a difficult time. Campaign finance rules laws were a lot tighter in the '80s and '90s, and so this represents, I think, just major inroads in campaign finance. And I I honestly think. They're gonna be spending so much money and tapping their donors uh, so much that uh, probably not gonna see things like conferences uh, in the near future. I think they're gonna be tapped out uh, spending on races. But another good thing that's happening is, at least for uh, the PAC, is that you can see who's funding a PAC. And one of their strengths has been donor secrecy when they were just you know doing the 501c4 thing. Now, uh, at least the ones that are giving uh, to candidates, there have to be public disclosures of who's funding them. And I think they're setting themselves up for a bit more backlash from the boycott community, who's not going to want to buy products to the extent that some are connected with products and service companies, not going to want to help those donors keep pumping money in. I see that the one of the people who was uh, a founder of WhatsApp has, has been identified now as giving $2 million. You know, of course, he doesn't own it anymore. He sold it, but it's always healthy, I think, for uh, people to, you know, to have a little bit more transparency in who's funding all of this. So, I, but the biggest thing here is really who set up a pack, who funded it, who... Really uh, organized it to be the so-called American Lobby for Israel People got to know that history. They've got to understand that history. They've got to see how there's a gigantic fail in terms of applying any sort of law uh, And that now we're stuck with this. So it's uh, there is some hope though hope in the 13th episode and uh, Really excited by the feedback that I've gotten so far
0: great. Yeah, I love it, man. I'm uh, on episode, what, four or five now. Awesome. And I've been listening to a lot. I think it's really great. And, you know, I don't know, man. uh, I'm just pretending. But, like, if I was new here, Mm -hmm. I might be, I don't know, not surprised, but shocked that foreign governments are allowed, you know, whether they have a stamp from Farah or not, that, that they're allowed to lobby the American people in the Congress in this way at all. If you're a foreign sovereign nation... You can talk to the State Department. Other than that, F off. What the hell are they doing? This is insane. And you see how far out of control it is now where, you know, Ben Freeman, who I don't think I'm going to have today, but I was trying to arrange to interview today, has a thing still about the right wing, what we used to call the China lobby, the Taiwan lobby. Yeah. And their role in getting, you know, everybody wondered, why is Pelosi doing this? She has her own foreign policy that, you know, Biden doesn't want her to go. She goes to Taiwan anyway. And then the answer was, oh, guess what? Is Dick Gephardt and Tom Daschle, are lobbyists for the Taiwanese Hawks. And so they were the ones who had, you know, it was all just about money. The whole thing is, again, the flea wagon, the dog. And just think where... And Ben Freeman has agreed about this, whether we're talking about Ukraine, whether we're talking about Saudi Arabia or Israel or Turkey uh, or probably England, too, that these nations have far more influence on American foreign policy than the American people have. In fact, we have none at all compared to them and we're nobody compared to them when they should, again, have an ambassador and that's it.
1: Right. According to
0: at least, you know, if I'm saying like all other things being equal, I just got here and things, you know, it was a normal functioning constitutional republic. Isn't that the way it would be?
1: It would. It would indeed. I mean, I I hate to keep going back uh, to the oligarchy report, but, you know, the American voter has remarkably little influence on any U.S. policy if you if you divide it up. Yeah into tranches and look at what they want compared to what's actually implemented. It's all the special interest groups and big funders. And the average American has close to zero influence on any policy. But Freeman's work, I mean, incredible stuff. 175 million going into think tanks between 2014 and 2018, absolutely right. Um, I, I think it's, uh, you know,
0: by the way, that I, is such chump change. We're talking about foreign sovereign governments with right. billion dollar budgets. It's the same as Lockheed that makes tens, literally tens of billion, always north of 50. Well, at least north of 40 a year, tens of yeah. billions of dollars off of the Pentagon. And then they spend a measly couple of 10 million financing a few think tanks. Give me a yeah, break. But, but,
1: but look what, what, what a you racket. can do and what I can do with. Much less. I mean, for a think tank, it's a it's all a significant amount of money. Sure. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, like, that's the whole point, know, right? They wouldn't know what to do. With 100000000 million, there'd be no one left to buy. I mean... Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's amazing. Uh, a couple of steak dinners will do you, you know?
1: Yeah. <laughs> right. right. There's a certain diminishing return. And, and even, I, you know, and of course, like you say, this stuff, as long as you disclose it to the Foreign Agents Registration Act office... Uh, You know, it's legal. You can, as a foreign government, you can hire Americans for Ukraine and you can set up an operation. But you got to file, you know, how much you're paying and who you're paying. And you got to file what you're saying. And it's got to be transparent. And, of course, the magic of running a really good foreign influence campaign uh, I would say APAC mastered it is getting out of that registration vice. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing that Isaiah Cannon, APAC founder, resented more than filing Foreign Agent Registration Act reports. He hated it, and he always filed the minimum. And he was constantly conspiring, uh, openly, how to get out of that transparency initiative. And you know, the uh, 8.5 million got her you know, pumped into think tanks. Uh, They, if they could, you know, pumping it into Brookings, if they could, they wouldn't want to disclose that because they want anything, any benefit they get or any program that Brookings is launching to be positioned as this is what's best for America. And, you know, oftentimes it's the worst thing for America. And it's going to cost veterans. It's going to cost taxpayers. It's going to be a disaster. It's going to go against... Uh, the U.S.'s mild progress on any sort of justice and reforms. Uh, and, and, and so they don't want that. They want to be able to pump money into these operations and, and uh, have it be positioned as completely uh, domestic, completely uh, something that came out of the U.S. So, yeah, it's, it's transparency is good. Unfortunately, this is legal, but APAC is really the case study. And how a foreign influence operation got legs and basically destroyed for itself, destroyed any semblance of oversight and compliance with the law. And nobody knows about it.
0: Yeah. Well, they do now and they can now. Uh, (laughs) America's Defense Line, Divert, Spy Trade, and Big Israel. And now uh, this. Oh, and Foreign Agents and Deadly Dogma. Grant's uh, great books all on Amazon for you there. And then this great podcast series is called How Israel Made APAC, and you can find it at
1: howisraelmadeapac.podbean.com. should also find it on Spotify, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Apple, and Google soon. And uh, yeah, hate to compete with you, Scott. You're the podcast master.
0: Hey, man, you're doing great. Um, this is great work, as always, just like you're writing. Well, it is your writing, only out loud. And there you go. so, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. And I hope everyone will check it out again, how Israel made APAC, And it'll be in the show notes at the bottom of this interview at, uh, scotthorton.org and the libertarian Institute, et cetera, like that. So thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. The Scott Horton show anti-war radio can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, antiwar.com, anti-war.com, scotthorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org.